Hello and welcome to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. At Emmanuel Croydon, we exist to be a community drawn together by our desire to know and follow Jesus. We long to become disciples of Jesus who are equipped to serve him in the whole of life, transforming families, communities and workplaces as we love God with heart, mind, soul and strength. We hope you enjoy this week's talk from the morning services. Thank you for joining us today. Grace and peace to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers, and such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you may bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I have commanded. I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give to you. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you so much, Carol. Um, Paul, do come up and join me. And I'm going to stick you here in front of the microphone. Now, Paul has kindly agreed to uh, do a couple of sermons uh, for us through this um, uh, first sort of half of this term. Um, thank you so much, Paul. I thought it'd be nice for us to just very briefly get a little sense of who you are and where you're coming from. Tell us where have you come from most recently and what you're doing with yourself right now. This lectern is perfect height for me. <laughs> I don't know how you cope with it, John. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the upgrade, yeah, but it's, it's coming. Um, uh, my wife and I have been uh, helping to lead uh, St. Mark's Church in Battersea Rise for the last 33 years. 
Uh, it was a church plant. It was the second church plant from Holy Trinity Brompton. Um, and we left there in the middle of COVID lockdown this time last year. Brilliant. And you have gone out to pastures new. Yes. Real bucolic pastures. Um, by the way, this is a bit like coming home again. That was wonderful. Um, but what we've landed in is a village church, um, a liberal Catholic church, very traditional, if you know what that means. And um, so I put on my robes every Sunday, and I only realized how different it was when my granddaughter, aged five, the other Sunday, came to church for the first time with us. And afterwards she said to me, Pop Pop, that's what she calls me, Pop Pop, I like your church, but why did you wear that costume? <laughs> All I could think of saying was, darling, don't you like my costume? She said, no. <laughs> so out of the mouths of babes. Well, listen, Paul, it's really lovely to have you with us. Um, thank you for coming and sharing the word with us and for being with us this evening. Over to you. Thank you, and it's great to be with you. And I don't suppose anybody uh, was with us at Ashburnham in whenever it was. James Jones asked me to come and speak at your weekend then. No, was any of you there? Yeah, but what I said was so unmemorable. <laughs> Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us now by your spirit? You're alive today. We've been singing that. Speak to us today through what you spoke 2,000 years ago. For your glory's sake. Amen. Uh, now, I gather you're starting a new series on five themes, five hidden themes that our culture can't stop talking about. Uh, and the idea is that people of all races and ethnicities across the world throughout history, whatever their philosophical or religious backgrounds and beliefs, ask the same kind of questions. Uh, Dan Strange, in his book about to be published, uh, calls these the magnetic points or itches that we need to scratch. And he suggests that Jesus both subverts them and fulfills them at the same time. That we're all asking, searching for questions that only you, that only he can provide. Well, the first theme is what he calls the theme of totality. Human beings ask the question, is there a way to connect? All humans have an innate sense of totality, that we're small cogs in a much bigger machine. We're cosmically interconnected. And we have this sense that we're simultaneously both small and insignificant, someone put it, a negligible coincidence on a tiny speck of interstellar dust, but also at the same time significant through belonging. We enjoy communal awareness. We crave connection. And we feel abandoned after we've experienced it and crave for it again and again. And so we have this ambivalence between thinking that we're nothing and thinking that we're everything. This surfaces in popular culture in different ways. And one of them I think we've seen recently is the stadium experience. This desperate longing to get back to the music festival, the football match. And these are expressions of longing for transcendence. 
Uh, even right down to the local traditional village level that we're in now. Uh, the Oxted Festival and the Kenfest Music Festival a fortnight ago in our little patch had more people coming to them, coming out of lockdown, than they'd ever known before. But these are not going to satisfy us ultimately. There has to be something more. And Jesus claims he is that more. He's the way to connect. That the church is the place where we find true communion and true community. And as so often, he proclaimed universal truths out of a particular context. And often with familiar metaphor. In this case, and if you've got it open in some way in front of you, proclaiming, I am the true vine. Going down from the upper room to the Kidron Valley and then up to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus and the other disciples would have to go right past the temple. On the main gates, there were two very large clusters of grapes hanging from a huge vine. The clusters were each six feet long. They were made of pure gold. It was a magnificent sight. It was a symbol of Israel. That symbol goes back to the Old Testament when the Israelites were still outside the promised land. And Moses sent spies in who came to a valley filled with luscious grapes and they called it Eshkol, meaning clusters. And they returned to Moses bearing the grapes and said, it's a marvelous land. The grapes went onto their coins as a symbol for Israel at the time of the Maccabees and later onto the temple. And it's still a symbol of Israel today. It's on all their tourist brochures, two men carrying a pole from which hang gigantic clusters of grapes. And Jesus, maybe looking at the temple, said, I am the true vine. I'm the one who can make connection with God and with each other. I will give God the grapes he is looking for. Everyone else has been a false vine. They failed to produce the fruit. I'm the real one. And it's in me that my father, the gardener, will be able to pick the fruit he desires. You see, for hundreds of years, God had planted his people in that place. He had looked to them for righteousness and justice, and he hadn't found it. Vines or vineyards crop up six times in the, par- in the parables of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in each case, the vineyard portrays Israel being less fruitful than she ought to be. The same in the Old Testament. In every case that Israel is mentioned as the vine, it's the failure of the vine to produce fruit. So Jesus takes this picture and he says... I'm the real one. If you want to thrive, you need to be in me. Now, there are two main lessons in those first 17 verses read to us. The first is our union with Christ. That's the first 11 verses. It's the decisive factor for a fruitful life. Our union with Christ. And the second is our unity with Christians. That's verses 12 to 17. 
You're not only to be rightly related to the vine, you're to be rightly related to each other. And in both of these, you will discover that search for totality. So first, our union with Christ. I had a vine at home. It's easy to grow leaves on a vine, but difficult to grow grapes. To grow grapes, you need one special instrument, a pair of pruning secateurs. And there are two things Jesus says here about this process of pruning, one negative and one positive. Negatively, he says, you'll need to be pruned by the gardener, that is, by God. And that's negative, cutting out, cutting away. But the pruning knife is a surgeon's knife. And for this, we need to be willing to be pruned. Well, I don't know, we, we don't like being cut down to size, do we? Even by God. And there are two sorts of pruning that Jesus mentions, because there are two sorts of branch in the vine. He says there are some branches which produce lots of leaves, but will never produce fruit. And they're to be cut out altogether. Solemn words. That's verse 6. These are they who, while nominally attached to church or Christian activities, turn out not to be real Christians, but cultural Christians. But it's the other sort of branch that we're mainly concerned with here. Those which produce fruit, but not very much fruit. Those who show a little evidence of God in their lives and through their lives, but not very much. And this must be touching some of us here. You say, yes, that's me. In God's love, he cuts us back. And God is prepared to do that out of his love for us, not his cruelty to us. Now, how does God do that? Jesus says in verse 3, using the same word pruned, which is also translated cleaned, you are already cleaned because of the word I've spoken to you. And this is God's supreme method of cutting our lives back. His word cuts us down to size. Haven't you found that? The Bible cuts deep and finds you out. It causes us to wince and smart. But the Bible says the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. So the Bible speaks of purgatory. Christians ought to believe the doctrine of purgatory. But purgatory in the Bible refers to this life, not the next. Purgatory means purging. And as Christians, we need to be purged, pruned, cleaned out in this life. Praying is another means by which God prunes us. Prayer cleans us out as well. And prayer in the morning is an antiseptic for the whole day. But if we're to cultivate a fruitful prayer life, again, something will have to be cut out. The positive side is that when you are pruned, you will be productive in the vine. So pruned by the gardener, productive in the vine. So here are more keys to a fruitful life. Pruning is a vital prerequisite, but it's not the objective. 
Producing fruit is the objective. The only function of the branch is to connect up the vine stem and the fruit. It's the link between the vine and the grapes. It has no other function than to transfer from the stem, from the stock, all the sap that is rising, taking it along to the fruit. That is its purpose. I chose you, verse 16, that you may bear fruit. So that you and I are, as Christians, by appointment, bearers of fruit to his majesty the king. It's a royal warranty. Your purpose and mine is to be the link between Christ and the fruit. And the fruit is both fruit for God and fruit for other people. It's the fruit of holiness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Love, joy, peace and so on. And it's the fruit of Christian service, serving the community and the world, leading others to Christ. We're not to be like seedless grapes, but grapes with pips, each one with the power to reproduce. And so these are the two kinds of fruit that God wants from us. Lives that are pleasing to him and lives that do good to others. The inward fruit of godliness and the outward fruit of Christian service. Now, Jesus draws two profound truths from the branch in the vine. And the first is this. The branch is barren by itself. That's verse 4. The oldest known vine in England is at Hampton Court. It's 250 years old. Its roots are down by the River Thames, which travel 120 feet through the greenhouse. The largest crop it ever produced was in 2001, when it bore, wait for it, 845 pounds of grapes. That's nearly half a ton. But the branches themselves look dead and withered. You can take a cutting from a branch of a vine and you can graft it into another vine, but it must be into a vine stock. The branch of itself cannot produce fruit, and neither can we. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Oh, there's plenty of things you can do without Christ. Indeed, plenty of fruitful things in natural ways, but nothing of spiritual significance. You can do all sorts of things without Jesus. You can drive a car, have a baby, travel to the moon without Jesus. But you can't do anything fruitful for God. The second thing about the branch is this. It's useless for any other purpose than bearing fruit. Branches by themselves are just dead wood. You can't use vine wood for any other purpose. You can't use it for furniture or making tools or building material. It's useless, only to be thrown away and burned, and it doesn't even make very good firewood. But Jesus says, if you're really attached to me, then you are potentially useful to me and you can do something useful with your life. And it's not your contact with him over 20 years ago that counts. It's your contact with him today. And the test of it is whether or not you're bearing fruit. 
And all this comes from being in the vine. We're to be pruned by God and productive in Christ. And now we move from our union in Christ to our unity with Christians. And the emphasis in verses 12 to 17 is not now our union with the vine, but our relationship with the other branches. Of course, that doesn't fit with the analogy in a vine. There is no relationship between the branches. But there is a vital relationship between Christians. So now the vine picture is largely dropped. It's a mistaken assumption by some Christians that provided my relationship with Christ is maintained, everything else will be all right. But that doesn't necessarily follow. You may be remaining in Christ and yet be in a wrong relationship to Christ's people. You say, surely that's not possible. But it is. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't have needed to say both verse 9, remain in my love, and verse 12, love each other. It's, alas, tragically possible to be fulfilling the former but not the latter, to love Christ but not to love our fellow Christians. It was said of someone that he loved Christ so much he had no love left for other people. But there are two great commands, not one. To love God and to love our neighbour as ourselves. Now, the kind of love that Jesus has in mind is twofold. First of all, it's a costly love. The great verse 13 no greater love has anyone than to lay down his life to sacrifice. Many churches used to have box pews. Uh, You've got rid of your pews, or at least you've moved them to the back. Box pews that still exist in places. Each pew was a kind of horse box with a high front and back and a door at the side. And the pews were privately reserved for a rental fee which provided part of the minister's income. Sadly, no more. Once in with your family, you shut the door and you could hardly see or be seen by other worshippers. Now think, what a symbol that is so that you and your family could be isolated protected from the rest of the congregation nobody could enter your box you couldn't enter theirs well you can no longer rent a box in church but it is still possible to erect a mental box pew around you even here tonight don't come into my box and I won't trespass into yours. I'm just here to meet with God and one or two of those closest to me. I can see up, but I'm glad I can't see out. Well, Jesus' standard of love is to say this. My life is not my own. It belongs to my brothers and sisters, even to the point of laying down my life for them. And this is, of course, an allusion to the cross of which Jesus has already spoken in chapter 10 about the good shepherd laying down his life for the sheep. I lay it down, he said, of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. 
Now in chapter 15, Jesus passes on this empowering command to us. He says, in effect, what I'm authorized to do, I authorize you to do. That's the very limit of love, sacrificing your love for others. But there are a lot of steps on the way to that limit. For example, laying down your preferences for another. The coffee bar or restaurant you'd like to go to. The TV channel you'd like to watch. Laying down your plans for another. What you'd like to do this coming Friday night. Where you'd like to go on holiday. You see, all our lives are made up of a collection of our plans, our possessions, our time, our money, our choices. And great love, maybe not the greatest love, but great love, nevertheless, is to be prepared to lay some of these down for the sake of others. If someone or a group needs my Tuesday evening, all right, I'll lay it down. They can have it. If someone needs a car lift or to borrow my bike, I'll lay it down. If someone needs my emotional support or an ear to just listen to them, then when what I'd really prefer is to have someone listen to me, then I'll lay down my need in preference to others. A costly love. And finally, the second quality of love Jesus is speaking of is not just a costly love, but also a confiding love. I don't call you servants, he says. I could do, but I don't. I call you friends. It's a trusting love, a love that's prepared to confide in other people. Now, that is true love as well. If you really love someone, you'll confide in them. Not that we should blurt out everything about our lives to everyone. That comes rather tiresome. But there should be one or more people, a few, in whom we confide. Even totally. So Jesus gave us both these characteristics of a human love. A costly love, in verse 13, and a confiding love. In verse 15, love is both a life that is prepared to lay itself down and a life that is prepared to lay itself out. Well, lest we become conceited at the thought that Jesus has made us his friends, he puts us in our place. I chose you, he said, verse 16. That puts us in our place. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And your destiny, your appointed role, is to bear fruit that will last. And again, the metaphor breaks down because grapes, like all soft fruit, are notoriously perishable. But the fruit of which Jesus speaks is lasting. So did you note the progression in verse 2 from no fruit to some fruit, to more fruit, to verse 5, much fruit, and now to verse 15, lasting fruit. That fruit will rot where churchgoers are not rooted in Christ, 
or where Christians aren't loving each other. But where men and women are reaching into God and out to one another, then the fruit will last. And you and I to be suppliers, not only of much fruit, but of preserved fruit. And Jesus says, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, whatever in good conscience you are able to claim in the name of Christ. That's not a blank check for anything at all. It's a promise to give us whatever Christ could sign his name to. Anything in his name. But disharmony among Christians blocks answers to prayer like almost nothing else. Except disconnection from the source of power in prayer. Whereas connection to Christ... And communion with our brothers and sisters. These are the two key secrets to answered prayer. So it does all come down to what we've been seeing. Our union with Christ. And our unity with Christians. And Jesus says this is what I chose you for. For the experience of totality that really fulfills and satisfies and will never fade away, last into eternity. Let us pray. You're going to sing in a moment, so why don't you stand? And I'm going to pray. And I hardly know any of you, so I don't know who I'm talking to or about. But I sense that there are some here who are feeling I have lost connection. I've lost connection with God. I've lost connection with someone or some group in this congregation I want to pray for you and I want to pray for those who are saying yes there's a little bit of evidence of fruit in my life but not very much I wish there were more and maybe some of you even wrestling with that question am I prepared to allow God to prune me, to clear and clean me out, maybe to cut something out that will make space for me to draw near to him. Father, if there's some feeling that, and to some degree all of us feel that, but if there are some especially feeling that tonight... I pray that you would grant the faith, the courage, the determination to do whatever needs to be done to come back to full connection with you, fruit-bearing personally in our lives, growth of personal godliness in our lives, but also fruit in Christian service as well.
draw us back, Lord, tonight. You can do that. We're so shamed when we hear of, or at least challenged when we hear of congregations prepared to lay down their lives, a little congregation in Afghanistan, prepared to lay down their life totally in complete fulfilment of that verse, verse 13. Lord, help us at least to do what we can do, to to rise to your call to us tonight. And if God is putting in your mind something that you might do, ask for the faith, the courage, the help, the memory, so that it doesn't just evaporate as you go to bed tonight and get up to another Monday morning. Lord, may we stay with it, may it stay, and not let us rest. Come by your spirit, Lord, empower us. You chose us. You've appointed us. And the authority that you had in laying down your life, will you grant that authority to us? For your glory's sake. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Emmanuel Croydon podcast. For more information about our church and everything we have going on, visit our website, emmanuelcroydon.org.uk. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram to see and hear what's going on in the life of our church. God bless you and have a wonderful week.